Welcome to Oak and Adam, unfiltered conversations about nature, philosophy, spirituality, and life between a druid and an atheist. I'm Brian, a druid. And I'm Eric, an atheist. Welcome to Oak and Adam. Well, welcome back. Thank you for listening as we kick off another episode where we're going to go in depth regarding kind of a little bit of some background between us two as far as childhood into not only our philosophies, but as well as just the outdoor space in general. And I'm really looking forward to conversing about this topic. Um, you know, kicking off with, uh, with Brian here. Give a little bit of background on you as far as your introduction into the outdoor space and nature and as well as kind of how it intertwines with your, uh, with even your religious philosophies today. I'm, I'm really intrigued as far as your background in this area. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, so like there's a kind of a saying that sometimes the, uh, it goes that like, even if you come to paganism later in life that when you look back you realize that you always kind of were um but with my childhood kind of like on the religious side um my um mother wasn't didn't really have a strong religious background um mm. but my father grew up in the catholic church and um he'd sometimes joke about the phrase recovering catholic um <laughs> and uh uh, growing up very early on, um, we tried like the Episcopalian church. Okay. Um, and then that really didn't stick. Um, and then later on, uh, my parents were introduced. I would have been in about sixth grade or so to, um, a local evangelical church, um, that no longer exists. But uh, that was my first introduction into kind of the evangelical space. And, um, you know, I had no real religious grounding at all in that space. So I was, you know, just clean slate, ready to take something in. Um, but from the nature side of things, growing up, uh, I grew up until sixth grade, about that same time period, I had... Um, lived in an apartment. Um, and so the, in Urbandale, so really didn't spend like as much time outside. Um, in in fact, the neighborhood kids, I found out later on through some serendipitous encounters that apparently the neighborhood kids thought I was that the sick kid that could never go outside. (laughs) (laughs) Like you're allergic to the sun or something? Yeah, so apparently there are all sorts of stories about me. But I spent a lot of my time indoors, playing with Legos, reading books. Um, Mm. And I was an only child too, so that was definitely part of that dynamic. But for the longest time growing up, I wanted to be a geologist. Absolutely loved rocks. Lots and lots of rocks. Um, I still have some from that I'd collected from when I was a kid. Um, the other pieces, when I would later on, when I got a little bit older, would go out and play, I'd love just to find like the creeks, especially in the like North and South Karen Acres Park. Um, those have 
developed and changed quite a bit. But oh, I'm sure they have. How far away were those creeks from your house? Out of curiosity. Oh, probably less than a half mile. Okay, um, they were pretty close. And you um, had pretty free range, like as far as like. You just had to be back by a certain time at this age? Or? Usually. I mean, there was there were rules of where I could and couldn't go. Um, sure. And for the most part, I, well, I followed them until I didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I Every technically kid. wasn't. Every kid. Oh, yeah. I got really good at creek walking without getting dirty because I wasn't supposed to be creek walking. Uh, um, were you caught? Were you ever caught? Only once when I fell in. Okay. Um, but I was able to make up a story about... You know, we were playing and I slipped and fell. And, um, <laughs> As your mom rolls her eyes, like, whatever. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, but then the, um, and then I had, um, or have, had, have, I'm not, the, I have a cousin, but um, this is when she lived in Iowa City when we were kids. Um, so past tense for the location, present tense, She's still alive. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you for clarifying. Yes. Um, so the area where they lived in Iowa City uh, was backed by kind of uh, a little wooded area. It was over by um, uh, City High, not kind of... Um, it was actually... Actually, it was right next to City High. There was a little wooded area before they put in a newer parking lot when we were kids. And we just explore those woods. Oh yeah, um, and just, I, so much fun. Um, How much poison ivy did you get as a kid? The first time I got poison ivy was Easter. Well, let me rephrase that. The first time I got exposed to enough poison ivy to actually break out was Easter, twenty nineteen. Oh my god! So you, you didn't really get it as a kid? No, I never okay. did. The, um, I've that actually, is quite different from my story. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got a high tolerance for poison ivy. I can get away with quite a bit, but it turns out that if you're cutting like two, three thick inch, two, two or three inch thick vines, um, yeah, nobody's <laughs> no one, n- no okay. one, um, yeah, no. <laughs> so are you saying to the audience? Proceed with caution when you're cutting into poison ivy vines. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's also <laughs> the dynamic of increased exposure can also increase sensitivity. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I have super sensitive skin, and when, when I go into some of my history, oof, I got exposed at a very young age, regularly. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, anyway, continue. Um, the, I think the other piece was... Um, at when I was really little, I had I was given some misinformation about this is before poison the ivy. internet age. This is before the internet, and you age. got misinformation. I got some misinformation, you got fake news. Okay, no, yep, it was from a random babysitter that either she was wrong or was messing with me. I'm not entirely sure. Mm. Um, most likely messing with me, but um, the I was told that poison ivy actually had five leaves, not three. Oh yes. Um, (laughs) and the, uh, and so I spent the majority of my childhood when I'd go through the woods, avoiding anything with five leaves. So that meant like Virginia creeper, all that stuff that grows everywhere. I would basically treat it like 
poison ivy and actively avoid it. Uh, but what's actually kind of interesting is, do you know where poison ivy usually grows? Right alongside the Virginia creeper. <laughs> so. Yes, I'm trying. Like I'm trying to think of it. Like off the top of my head, it's like, where does it normally grow? But yeah, it is right along mm-hmm. near Virginia the, creeper. The other dynamic is it also usually grows where, like, along trails mm-hmm. and where things have been disturbed. I was going to say where it's been very disturbed, whether someone has actively mowed an area. Yeah, and those are usually the areas that I actively avoided. Um, whenever I'd go exploring, I'd go off trail as quickly as possible into the deepest part, um, where there just really isn't, but there's still Virginia creepers. So I'm still avoiding this stuff. That's not, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> we, you have mental scars like, oh, oh my gosh, I do. There was, ivy. there was literally not. one time where it was a field of May apples. Do you know how many leaves May apples have? Is it like five or six? It's like five. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm tiptoeing through this field of May apples thinking that they might be poison ivy. Um, it was literally like being in a forest and the floor is lava type. Was, <laughs> oh, I, I still do it today. So let's, let's, let's be honest. So. Oh, but I mean, even then I was having a blast. Um, and then once I got a little bit older, um, we'd go camping. Um, my dad retired from the federal government. Okay. And so he um, always wanted to go camping up at Sailorville, which is actually federal land. Okay. Um, so like the um, um, not Big Creek, that's state, and Jester, which is county, but like um, Acorn Valley um, yep, very or familiar. Cherry Glen. Yep. Th- um, those are actual federal campgrounds. Yep. And Under the Army Corps of Engineers. Yep, right. exactly. And we'd go camping there. And then, again, me being an only child, um, I would, like, basically spend the day just wandering off and exploring off-trail into the woods of Sailorville. And then I'd come back when I got hungry. That's beautiful. Yeah, just by myself. Which is, which is interesting because I have, and even my best friend is uh, an only child, and some, some differences would be that they had, and I can understand perspectives and 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 I'm not one to like critique, but you know, there's a little bit of helicopter parenting because it's like, you're the only child. And so therefore they, you have more eyes on you, more protection of you, make sure you're safe. Um, all reasonable things. Right. So, but your parents gave you some pretty good Liberty, um, from that standpoint, which is a great contrast in comparison to some others that I know where they had a little bit more helicoptering, um, you know, with their parents. So, Oh yeah, that's that's. I look back on it and I'm just like, wow. I'm not sure I'd even feel comfortable with my kids doing that. <laughs> I know. Well, today's I'm just like, uh, I'm not even a parent yet, and I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be worried about all kinds of things. Like, oh yeah. Well, and I think back to it, <laughs> and I'm like, there were times, like, there were some times where I'm just like, the because uh, like with erosion and stuff, you get some like steep cliff sides and. There's times where I'm like trying to use whatever walking stick that I had at the time and trying to like climb up this like cliff face because I slid down and couldn't get back up. And, um, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or all the like, I climbed a ton of trees. Like, I could have fell easily out of a tree and like no one would have been around. Oh, like, oh, yeah. And then 
Um, so speaking of climbing trees, the when we did get a house um, in Urbandale, um, it was like the perfect house for for me and had didn't even fully realize it at the time. It was a corner lot and there were two apple trees um, that had never been pruned that we know of. Okay. And so they were just, they were huge. Um, and they, and there was a massive ash tree. This is yep. pre Emerald Ash Borer. Right. Um, and oh man, I would climb that thing so I could actually look over the top of our split foyer two-story house. Okay. Um, so like dangerously high. Um, but it was so much fun. And then like the apple trees were large enough I could climb them. Um, yeah. And the then like having like having like a little herb garden and um, oh, there's so much so much fun. So before I just keep rattling on, Eric, <laughs> you've mentioned a couple times about your joys with poison ivy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So picture it, Red Oak, Iowa. What was it? What year was that? Circa 1992. Just picture it. Okay. Um, kind of like Sophia from the Golden Girls. Picture it, Sicily, 1923. <laughs> um, so originally, I guess to give you some perspective with, my, I've had a pretty rich outdoors background as well uh, throughout my life. Uh, I was not originally born in Iowa. I was actually born in Colorado. Um, I was born in Aurora, Colorado, or as I would say whenever I was a little kid, about two years old, two years old, I would say Aurora. Um, and my, my father and even my mom, they loved going out camping uh, my dad was an av like would go backpacking with his coworker friends and and other friends in the area in Denver, and um, there's pictures of me on the back like they had a backpack with with me uh, on the back, but then we got uh, then my father was transferred from Denver to Omaha for his work, and um, lived in an apartment there in Omaha for I think it was just a year uh, if not under, um, and then my mom was. Um, was pregnant, and so they start started doing the house searching. And eventually, after my sister's birth, we moved to Red Oak. And I remember it because you're t you're talking about like the apple trees. It, it kind of had some parallels with the the house in Red Oak, um, and why I loved it as a kid. In the back or in the front yard, there was a huge crab apple tree, and you want to talk. And there was low, huge branches where kids can climb in. And it was oh, almost nice. like you can sit inside and every kid can have like a, it's like a circle where everyone can sit around in this tree and, you know, kids who are five years old can climb this tree and, and climb up on the trunks with no problem at all. It oh, was, cool. it was fantastic. Um, in fact, that tree had been there for even past generations where people would say that they were there as kids hanging around in that tree. Uh, so it was, it was pretty special from that standpoint. Unfortunately, that tree uh, met its demise years later by carpenter ants. But mm. um, in the backyard, there was two apple trees. There was a uh, Granny Smith, and then there was a, um, a Red Delicious 
apple tree back there, which was fantastic. Um, and then the middle between there was a cherry tree as well. Um, there's a linden tree. Uh, there was another climber, some ash oh, trees nice. that were yeah. there. I mean, there was just trees everywhere, and there's still the big old oak um, in the backyard too. That one I couldn't climb. Uh, the branches were way too high up for for it not to be accessible. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I always enjoyed like I, I I remember fondly of like remembering of how long I can go before I get got grounded of day like I had streaks going it's like oh I haven't been grounded because I always would push the envelope of curfew um or other things like I you know looking back I was an honorary kid um but I just wanted to spend as much time as I could outdoors and in the neighbor so it's like this small town which is its own beauty because I I talked about I asked you about your liberty of doing things we had pretty much the whole block as a little kid and then once we were old enough to ride bikes you know, we had the blessings to ride around the neighborhood, be back by a certain time, so on and so forth, and kind of a community of people to watch out over mm-hmm. you, right? So, you know, if you want to talk about, like, ideal growing up and privileged growing up, not, like, wealthy privilege, but just, like, you didn't have a care in the world. Oh, yeah. Have, like, it was pretty darn great, and I have to give a lot of credit to my parents, too, for fostering that kind of environment. But... Um, there in that neighborhood, we, as kids, we called it the forest today. It's like, oh, it's just a patch of timber. It's, it's nothing big. I mean, you can even see straight through it, but when you're a kid, it's huge, right? Oh yeah, like, absolutely. The, the hills on the, on your bike are, are mountains and, mm-hmm. uh, the forest that was maybe a quarter acre, <laughs> uh, <laughs> was a forest. And that's where I had my first blush with poison ivy. Uh, was because uh, the guy who owned it, who would, he didn't really like us in the forest, but we went there so persistently in violation of his wishes that he kind of just started giving up. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it kind of selective enforcement uh, on his end. Um, but it was, it was, if you think of it, it's fairly disturbed timber, and there was yeah. plenty of poison ivy. To the point where even my parents were like, you're not going in there anymore. Like, you need to stay out of there, this and that. Because I had sensitive skin. So, like, my calves, my ankles, uh, even my arms uh, would get exposed to poison ivy. I'd be itching like crazy um, from that standpoint. So, I've I've had my fair share of poison ivy over the years. Even now out hiking, um, now I have a pretty keen sense of it because I've kind of gun shy a little bit from mm-hmm. poison ivy it's like um now it's just more of like the nettles sneak up on me now oh yeah like i remember i was out um in iowa forest with a with a gal that i was seeing and we're kind of hiking down this ravine um have to appreciate her adventurous spirit but i remember us like brushing against nettles in this hot summer it's like oh god <laughs> And like that's they're almost as bad, right? Oh, oh, they are. You know, the one thing though is like they're slightly anti-inflammatory. Mm. So from like an herbal medicine type perspective, those one time I was um, hiking through the floodplains of Brown's Woods. Um, the uh, yeah, that's a that's a long story. Um, going deep off trail in like July, 
Don't recommend it. No, um, I would not recommend hiking. <laughs> I, I recommend not going. I'd recommend not going off trail in the summer in Iowa. Yes, because of the nettles. The um, so and the ticks. By the way, the ticks can be plainly awful. You know what's kind of? I have yet to get a tick from Browns. Really? Yeah, dude. I could write a. I could fill a book of how many times I pulled a tick off. Like, yeah, <laughs> this I don't past know. summer. But, um, <laughs> no, but so I'm hiking through this field of nettles, and I'm wearing my old cami pants from the Marines. And the, and they're like chest high nettles. So I'm like hiking with my arms up high. So oh, I'm not, gosh. yeah. That just sounds awful. Oh, dude, it, it was the, uh, I like, I, it, it was, it was just a, a bad idea. But, um, cause it was, I, I was actually hiking through them by necessity and attempt to get back to the trail. Um, and <laughs> after climbing up a steep embankment, cause, uh, like I tried to go up through the North, like the North Northeast quadrant area. Okay. And then go out to that sandbar. And I was planning on just walking along, um, that down to kind of where the trail is, where that little unofficial social trail that goes out to the river was. Right. I was planning right. on just walking along the river for an easy hike back. What I, forgot was the fact that the two sandbars don't actually connect because there's a slight turn in the river there right and so i'm walking along this and i see that and i'm like fuck <laughs> <laughs> so and i look over so then i've got staff in one hand and a knife in another and i'm cl- climbing this like like bare soil erosion like i think like nick point i think is what they're calling it but the uh and then it was like a couple football fields worth of those chest high nettles just to get back to the area where the trail was. But after a while hiking through that, my knees, like they were, the needles were getting through my pants. Mm. And so my knees were stinging. And at first it was just like, what? Oh, but what was interesting is for like, like I deal with knee pain all the time um, from my service in, in the core. And for the next week, and even like, because the the stinging only usually lasts for about half an hour at most. Um, and then... Mine have always been brief. Like, yeah. It's not, not long. It's just more of like, it feels like... But it the, feels like a mosquito bite for but a my, moment and then gone. My knees felt great. <laughs> they, uh, and because... And then I was like, why? Oh, yeah. Like, I think it's like formic acid, or I'm not entirely sure what it is that's in it. But... It uh, apparently is an anti-inflammatory, and so my knees, which are almost always inflamed for once, <laughs> it was just like, oh, that was great. <laughs> so that was kind of a pleasant surprise. Mm. <laughs> oh, well, and so in Red Oak, uh, to kind of circle back. Yeah, your um, Poison Ivy adventures Poison as a kid. Ivy, uh, I regularly got, but... I was one of those kids too. Like I had to capture all kinds of like different bugs. I was a bug collector. Like even I would bring bugs to the neighbors, and I grew up <laughs> around a bunch of neighbors. I mean, if I if you think of it, think of like the most stereotypical small town growing up you can have. Um, you know, leave it to Beaver style, and that was Red Oak when I was growing up. I had neighbors of of different age ranges, and all of them were like salt of the earth people. And each one of them had their own characteristic. 
and across the street there was uh, some older neighbors um and i they, i would bring over bugs to show them like i was proud of what i caught more or less um and and i would catch everything like i would catch you know monarch butterflies uh, cicadas you grasshopper you name it like rare things poisonous spiders even like, oh jeez <laughs> i was one of those kids <laughs> i was one of those kids um and in fact uh my parents won't forget me doing this but so it's august early august whenever we have uh, lightning bugs or fireflies oh yeah and i would, i caught a lot of them well i didn't want the party to be done with just in the jar i wanted to take them inside <laughs> and i let them go in my room <laughs> <laughs> so there's all these lightning bugs in my room <laughs> but they had to be pretty cool though it was pretty cool like but i mean they weren't light they weren't lighting up like like they were out in tall grass uh-huh. but they would be like it'd be like a flicker of light randomly like <laughs> throughout the night but then they're you know they don't last long they don't they don't live very long and oh. so there's all kinds of like dead lightning bugs and my mom was not <laughs> pleased <laughs> <laughs> so that that was a story that my parents will kind of uh rib me about uh to this day but uh yes i i was one of those kids bug collecting tree climbing pushing the boundaries of curfew just to be out as outside as long as i could um yeah, in in small town Iowa, like you know, again we lived in a very, very nice bubble, um, you know, to to grow up in. But it, as far as like a religious standpoint, so I grew up Methodist. Uh, we grew up in the Methodist Church, which is actually a little bit at, at its time, not not so much anymore, was a little bit more of a progressive mm-hmm. uh, church for its time. I mean, and, and and by its history, it was progressive, right? Yeah. It was an anti-slave. Um, church, so not to delve into like the history, but anyway, it was just it was a more progressive church, especially in Red Oak. And Red Oak has, if you look at the map, Red Oak has a lot of churches, like a lot of denominations of different faiths. And so we grew up, and it was mainly my mom um, who was more of a regular church attender. And so I would, it was like regular to go to Sunday school. All the way up and through high school, even I was in Sunday school, um, and then there was kind of, you know, wrestling kind of phased that out because I was like, I'm too tired to go to church, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I was. I mean, I was cutting weight, and mm. and then you wrestle a tournament the day before, you're pretty gassed. Um, but so going to high, like Sunday school, church, all that, and I was even confirmed into the Methodist Church and everything, but. I still, it was, always felt like a disconnect with church and with religion. Like, there, there was things that weren't just, like, adding up for me. Uh, it's, you know, it wasn't necessarily, like, the aha moment that Santa Claus isn't real. Sorry, kids, if I broke that news. Uh, or the Easter <laughs> Bunny isn't real. Well, this but, podcast is really explicit, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. Um, some people may still believe in Santa Claus. Um but it was just like some things weren't clicking, right? And it's just like these stories seem, in my opinion, were a little fetched, right? They're a little bit far fetched. Um, and so I kind of slowly degraded away from 
that standpoint. Uh, college, there was a little bit of resurgence back into it, um, but then I withdrew quickly again once I found some reason. Um, you know, again, contemplating the questions of faith and, um, you know, if all faiths are created equal because they, you're just trusting in faith <laughs> without evidence, right? And that's the definition of faith. Why, why is my faith greater than someone else's faith? Um, I even had to have that conversation with my father uh, just this past weekend, actually, because he was asking me, he was like, well, you go to church? And I'm like, no, I'm not religious. And, and I got a little defensive about it. And some people don't r- realize that when, if you are agnostic or atheist, and especially in Iowa, which is a fairly religious state, yeah. so there's a higher propensity of people who have some sort of faith, mainly Christianity, you are you are almost demonized in a sense, or you're like, they're, they kind of question you like you're some outlier. And you kind of face a little bit of some discrimination for it. Um, so you kind of, and I, I kind of had that like defensiveness where I shouldn't have been defensive, right? Mm-hmm. But I had some of that defensiveness. It's like, no, like I kind of like rattled off like a few different reasons, this and that. And he's, he was kind of like, taken back by, by that defensiveness, but it, you'd be surprised of like, of how many people will be like critical of people who are not religious Oh, in this state. Oh yeah. I, I mean, the, from the pagan side, like we have this term like coming out of the broom closet. Mm. Um, <laughs> Cause like when, so like my, like I went through several periods of my life where I was exploring, you know, paganism and, um, I essentially like had to hide it. Um, right. The, I mean, cause at the time I was going to a Christian school. Yeah. That would have gotten, oh, that would have been a big no, no. That would have gotten me expelled. Um, wild. That's absolutely wild. Oh yeah. And, um, and so like I literally had to hide my faith at the time. Um, and even to this day, there's times depending on like where I'm at, like the, like I usually wear a pinnacle, um, which, you know, there's times where like, I'll like, depending on what's going on, I'll take it and tuck it inside my shirt. Sure. Cause I don't feel entirely comfortable wearing it out in the open. Um, and so, and it's, you know, kind of on the same side with my, you know, sexuality where depending on where I'm at, I may be out, I may not be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of a... It is like if you're not a... If you're not a Christian, you do kind of have to be on guard a little bit. Um, it does make it, it... The advantage we have in Iowa, which is this is hardly an an advantage, but the thing that makes it manageable is if you just don't advertise it, people generally assume you're some type of Christian. Right. You know, somewhere between non-denominational evangelical to Catholic. They just assume you're somewhere in that spectrum, Um, you know, or as they put it, an undecided seeker. (laughs) <laughs> um, that's, some... that's a good term. I like that term. I like that term. 
But yes, I mean, you know, defensiveness. I mean, heck, even from like when you're um, even in a dating sphere. Not, I mean, not that we're going to go into like the dating world of things, but even then, it's like, you know, it's like a hot button topic for some people in Mm -hmm. that realm. And yeah, it's it's, so there is a little bit of defensiveness, and there there is just um, in a sense discrimination in. If you are not conforming to, you know, Christianity or another major religion, um, you know, in, in our culture, and you're you hit the button, you, you hit it right that uh, that people just assume that oh. you, that you're on some sort of denomination, or even they just go, oh well, you know, Eric, you're a Methodist because you grew up Methodist. Mm-hmm. It's like eh, once upon a time, right? But the evolution of thought. You know, now I'm no longer. I'm a, I'm, I, I don't know if I could. I, I don't know if I can borrow your your father's term, but I'm. I guess a recovering Methodist, even though it's like wasn't damaged from the Methodist Church. But I, there was a, an interesting matter that was kind of the the domino that caused it all to fall too. Was um, and it's not permissible to do um, at all if you are a religious organization. Is um, there was a pastor at the Methodist Church uh, in Red Oak that was handing out pamphlets around the election time. Yeah. And basically it's like this candidate versus that candidate and where do they stand on the issues. It was completely swayed BS. Like, you know, a, from abortion to gay rights, you know, you, na- you name all the social conservative views and it was completely swayed in that direction and they're twisting it from a religious standpoint, like heavily anti-LGBTQ+. Oh, yeah. Uh, heavily anti, you know, anti-abortion, uh, anti-choice. So, it, you know, for me, that was like the last domino. And I actually, my father went in and talked to that pastor. He's like, you can't be handing this stuff out. Like, you will lose your tax-exempt status handing this kind of stuff out, which you can if you're doing that because you're endorsing political you know, mm-hmm. endorsing politics and you can't be doing that as a nonprofit in that sense. So it's like, um, so that was like, that, that was the domino. Like yeah. that was it. Like I'm, I'm done with this. Like I'm not supporting this kind of bigotry and this and that, like I can't be a part of it. And then it was like the grander search to, you know, finding, you know, finding, I guess more progression and truth. Oh, that it's, that oh, it's yeah. okay not to have the answers, that it's it's always a continued search. Well, and when I left my Christian faith behind, I had to almost entirely reconstruct my social circle. Oh, I can imagine. Um, like, I'd lost quite a few friends that just, you know, gone. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I had one friend who reached out this would probably would have been a couple years ago and was like, Hey, you know, let's grab a beer and all that. I'm like, yeah, Hey, cool. Let's see. Let's catch up. Um, but I didn't realize it was, and it, he was conducting an intervention oh at my Confluence Brewing. <laughs> <laughs> Little does he know that is Brian Campling's turf. Oh yeah. I'm sitting there. I'm like literally just staring at him. I'm just like, Wait, 
what? And the and here's the part that like that always makes me like the most frustrated and honestly it pisses me off. Mm. Like the frustrated is how I describe it when I'm leaning into my stoic, you know, studies. Uh, but deep down inside, it just, it pisses me off is when they say, so why are you angry at God? I'm like, <laughs> what? Cause the, I've heard it been told multiple times that atheists are just angry Christians. Mm. Have you heard that one before? No, I haven't. <laughs> we could be angry at Christians because of their imposition of their way of, of thinking and suppression of free thought. That that drives some anger. Um, oh, yeah. And I mean, now I will say on the other side of the coin for some listeners, atheists can do the same thing. Again, if you listen to the prior episode, we, you know, I talked about that there's militant Christians and religious people, and there's militant atheism, and, you know... The, oh, you get, you get extremes on every side. Absolutely. You get every extreme. Absolutely. But the, anyway, so yeah. we're not we're not angry. <laughs> no, we're, we're not. Just, we just took a step back, and we're just like, we can't... Yeah. Anyway. No, and, the like, the part at, at the heart of it that makes me the most frustrated with the whole thing is just accept me where I am at without trying to change me or explain away who I am. Exactly. That, it's just, you know, to go, you know, I believe there's uh, this old fella, he lived a while ago, um, said something about to seek first to understand before being understood. Mm. He was really into animals and stuff. I like that. You know, yeah. St. Francis. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. But, but it's like, so here, there's two thoughts that came to mind, right? So one is, if, if, if the truth is actually the truth, it, need, it does not need to be explained over and over again that it's the truth, right? Mm-hmm. The truth explains itself. Exactly. It could speak for itself. It could, speaks for itself its own merits. It doesn't need a sale job. Two, if you truly love someone, love is liberating. Love liberates. And that, that's a Maya Angelou um, conversation, but if, like, just like whether it's a relationship, right? If you truly love them, you want them to be free for who they are. If Jesus is love, or if your religion preaches love, let people live their life in liberty and then rest on the laurels of the truth that you believe in. It doesn't need it doesn't need a sale job. We're not asking for used car salespeople, you know, not to throw any of the used car salespeople on this podcast <laughs> on the bus, but just you know, I, I well, work. Well, there goes I, that I, demographic. <laughs> but I, I work in a sale, like a little bit of a sales environment, and so and, and the the thing that irritates the heck out of clients is when you're salesy, and if you are, if if again if. You shouldn't have to do any selling. If it's, if it's a good deal, if it's true, if it's rested on good morals and principles, it doesn't need a sale job, right? And let people freely, you can certainly express it and talk about it, but it shouldn't have to be pushed. And when you start having to push, that's when it's not, then the, the principles and morals upon that 
are not on very stable ground, in my opinion, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you think of it like a uh, like a bad uh, significant other or or spouse, right? They always come up with some sort of excuse or rationale for you know for actions, right? If if they were doing the right thing out of the get go, they don't need to explain it twice. They don't need to re-explain it. So anyway, that's that's my incoherent rant. But you talked about so like camp so you know that was that was great. Oh, the camping. But like for me, camping was and fishing. Oh my gosh! Like Mm -hmm. like I lived and breathed the outdoor recreation. Like so, fishing was a big part of it. Um, Camping was a part of it. I even was hunting, not without. Not not with a gun by any means. I was more or less the bird dog for some pheasant hunts where basically I just walk with my dad and uh, and our relatives on pheasant hunt days. So basically, <laughs> let's tire out the kid. Um, <laughs> but I, I had a blast doing that. So, And I, I remember growing up, um, my great uncle Bobby, uh, he had a acreage with a pond in the back. And around every 4th of July, he would have all the extended family over uh, for the 4th of July. And there'd be like fishing going on and all kinds of things, uh, fireworks, you name it, um, down in southern Iowa and uh, outside of Leon. Like some of the fondest memories. And there, he, what they had was a fishing contest for the kids. And it was basically, it was more or less adult time with peace and quiet away from the kids because when they came down to the fishing contest, it was quiet. So think of like (laughs) chaos. So there's like chaos of like probably well over 80 kids there. And then like a, you know, large number of adults. And so it's just constant chaos. Right. But then once that fishing contest started, it was quiet (laughs) but i mean because you're concentrating you're wanting to catch fish and this and that so so fishing was certainly part of it uh you know did fishing trips with my dad uh we actually it was very random i went with my father and my grandfather um up to canada to go fishing which was a total blast i was in middle school at that point um and we caught walleye at northern pike i mean just a typical like and this is in the day and age. This is before 9-11. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. we could easily cross the border. Um, we didn't need a passport in order to enter Canada or even come back. Uh, there was still declaration of things and this and that. But, yeah. like, you know, and then, of course, there's the old, uh, let's get some Cuban cigars and all that fun stuff, right? <laughs> like, um, like, for me, I was in middle school, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But And it's Canada. It's Canada. It's Canada. <laughs> The Pepsi tastes different in Canada, by the way. Uh, I do remember that. And they had a different style of can. But uh, but it was, when we came back to the United States, like right on the border patrol, it was just a border patrol agent like, where are you guys from? Looks at the plates, Iowa, all right. You guys have anything to declare? Nope. Look us up and down. You're on your way. It's like, it was just very different, very different day and age, right? Um, but we even did like backpacking trips. Uh, my, uh, my dad, um, when we were back in Colorado, him and his buddies, um, 
they had a spot where they went to, and it's actually off trail. It's a mountain lake uh, uh, up in the Eagle's Nest Wilderness area. And it was just absolutely beautiful. And you're off trail, so it's not really known to too many people. I mean, people do venture there, but it's not... It's not too commonly visited, if that makes sense. So it's pretty pristine. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of call it like a family spot, more or less. And we've done some return visits, but we haven't been there for a while. Um, I think it was 2016 we were there last. But it was that area has experienced a lot of pine beetle kill. Oh, yeah. And a lot of deadfall trees. So because you're going off trail, um, it used to be you just follow a bunch of flat rocks and you go up towards the lake can't do it anymore you have to climb over trees and this and that to make your way so basically what normally would take you once you go off trail gosh i want to say maybe an hour um off trail turn into you know a solid three hours because you have to climb over trees no Um, so yeah really extended really extended the trip anyway so that so from like backpacking growing up camping growing up i mean we camped we camped in national parks. We we even had the uh, rig in the pickup truck. So my my parents had a pickup truck, and it was one of those where you were off ground. So you put the tailgate down, and then you had this canopy around the bed of the truck, and you have these um, full sized um, oh, uh, boards that stuck out from the sides, and then they were. Um, then you had like under poles underneath for support. And so I had this whole canopy and it was in the oh, back nice. of the pickup. So you're off the ground, which is great. Um, it just took a lo- little bit to assemble. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we did that from the Badlands to Yellowstone to the Grand Tetons uh, to random lakes down in Missouri to Wisconsin, um, just all over. It was pretty fantastic. Like one of our fondest memories as far as like a family vacation was on the Badlands to Yellowstone to the Tetons trip. And we did, uh, when we were in the Tetons, it was, that was awesome. It was absolutely beautiful. And we woke up in the morning with frost on the outside of the, outside of the (laughs) canvas. That was amazing because it's just like, you're in the elements and you're in the Tetons, you know? So, um, so there, there's that point where I, I definitely, uh, recall. So I, I, I'll say from an outdoor perspective, I had a very fortunate, very fortunate, uh, childhood. So that was, that was pretty beautiful. <laughs> yeah. No, I think our, uh, neighbors are having like a birthday party or something. So it'll be hilarious <laughs> if this picks anything up. It's just like, <laughs> We're over here to have this conversation. There's just like someone like cheering and singing happy birthday. It's happy like, birthday. what on earth? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the joys of apartment living. Oh, the, uh, so what would you say was, so to kind of pivot from like camping a little bit to just in your own backyard? Mm. Um, the, so I'll tell you, like, like one of my favorite backyard experiences, and I'd be curious to find out if you had anything similar. So I had mentioned that 
I had the two apple trees in our backyard, and sure. these things like were huge. Where you could actually sit underneath them. And there was one time where I had a a friend over, and we had moved. I was probably a junior in high school, and we had moved two Adirondack chairs underneath these branches. And this okay. is after dark, yeah. and we put in some tiki torches. Um, well, you're sophisticated then. Oh heck yeah, I'm not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> Made some herbal tea. Oh uh, and so I you had, were, you were a druid even at this age. I'm not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> I had a boom box. <laughs> All right. All right. If you don't know what that is, Google it. <laughs> um, and I threw in an Enya CD. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so we just hung out with the ambient, the lights, like the tiki torches under lighting the, uh, the branches and the, uh, it was literally like a, moment from Dungeons and Dragons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we Nerd. just hung out and talked. That's great. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is good. <laughs> <laughs> I could just picture this right now. <laughs> uh, backyard camping, and that was a lot of fun. I, I had a few ventures with friends backyard camping. Um, so I had some neighborhood friends uh, growing up, and... Um, and then, like, a few of them, either I had some sort of falling out with or uh, they moved away, right? So there was one night uh, where I had a couple friends over, and we had the tent set up in the backyard. I mean, I, I had a lot of fun camping in the backyard. But then my, my dad, this is how, I, I don't know if Henri doesn't fall far from the tree kind of deal, <laughs> or that doesn't fall far from the tree, but so... It was at night, and we're in the tent, and there's the light that, that's in there, and we're having fun. My dad comes in the checks in on us. Anyway, he tells us a ghost story or just like some spooky story, and it was a story about the Red Oak hobo. And <laughs> oh, so no. in Red Oak, so Red Oak has um, has a railroad that goes through. Um, it, uh, in fact, its town celebration is called Junction Days, which is the junction of two railroads. Um, which basically formulated the town. So there's a regular train schedule that goes through Red Oak, and the train horn will go off in the distance. Well, my dad found it to be a very funny story to tell us that the Red Oak Hobo, that basically I'll, I'll give you the uh, cliff notes of it. Red Oak Hobo, was drunk, he was drunk one night, and he, was, he drank too much. He uh, fell down and passed out on the railroad. And a train came by and cut off his head. And every time the train blows its horn, he's looking for his head. And, <laughs> and so it's like, so basically, like, after telling that story, and you tell some impressionable, like, you know, seven, eight-year-old kids, yep. nine-year-old maybe, and it's like, then you're like, left to your own devices, you're like, oh, crap. So we're in there, you know, left her own devices, you know, spooking ourselves out. And then all of a sudden we hear the train. (laughs) 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 Um, So basically my dad goes, yep, the story worked because here comes these flashlights. He's looking out from the window. He sees our flashlights making their way back into the house. (laughs) 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 So... 
Oh, man. I mean, talk about like simple growing up, right? Like, yeah. Uh, pretty great. So there was, we did plenty of uh, backyard camping and even had fires in the backyard mm -hmm. um, kind of deal. Um, that kind of phased out um, right before I became a teenager. Um, you know, I, was, I think that's kind of pretty standard uh, where you just hate life at that point. You hate everyone as a teenager. Oh, yeah. So, you know, camping in the backyard is for little kids. Um, so that, that yeah, camping in the backyard, that was, th those were some fond memories. And I just kind of remember the the ghost stories, is, you know, and you're, you're just kids, so you're kind of left in your own devices in the dark, and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> but you had a light show, and I didn't. The only thing I had was, like, the mine you know, oh yeah, <laughs> mind games that were going on. <laughs> yeah, I remember once just playing in the backyard. There was a uh, had uh, pruned um, the ash tree because there was some stuff that was leaning over the kind of reaching over the house and um, and in my because I was huge into fantasy stuff, so like dragons and wizards and all that stuff. Um, not surprising. <laughs> and when I was doing research, I learned that the second best wood for making like archery bows is ash. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. And so I took a branch and peeled the bark off of it. So it's still green and then strung it up like, uh, that, like just some, like that colored nylon, rope that you normally use for like laying out where you're going to do like decking and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then use some of that. Cause that's what I found in my dad's garage and uh, then let it dry. And mind you, it wasn't very powerful, but I was able to take a, an arch, like an actual, like a hunting archery arrow that I had found. And I actually got that thing to shoot like across the backyard. Um, Wow. Didn't have much like force, but it was just like holy cow! Uh, kept playing with that thing until I broke it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, we were mentioning, or at least maybe I mentioned earlier that you know, there's some things that we wonder is like, how did we not die? And <laughs> yeah. there was one time speaking of archery, it kind of reminds you a story. So the backyard, so the block that I grew up on, it was a bunch of backyards that were fairly there was there was no fences. So kids could roam pretty well free, mm -hmm. um, except for the forest, which that was more of a hangout area. But it was, otherwise, it's just open yard. And I remember my friend at the time, uh, Chase, his his family did a, like a lot of hunting. Um, and he was always out there practicing with his bow and arrow, like basically with like practice points. We're not talking like sharp points mm -hmm. by any means. Yeah. But, and he had like a, just a, single uh, drawback. It wasn't like a compound bow. It was just like, like a, a recurve? Yeah, recurve uh, bow. Anyway, so we had fun shooting that bow and arrow, but I remember that he would just like launch like volleys. So there was this one backyard between my my house growing up and his house, and it was about the length of a football field. Mm -hmm. And he would just launch these um, arrows up in the air, and there was times where I was catching them. Jeez. <laughs> and I caught some. And I caught them. Like, I literally caught them. Like, I plucked them, like, you know, kind of like uh, to the side and just plucked them out. 
like on the way down. It, it was like, now looking back, I was even thinking about this the other night. It's like, I could have been impaled. And even though they're like practice points. <laughs> but I mean, they've got to have momentum behind them. And... Oh, absolutely. And you know, you're launching them like, you know, a couple hundred feet up in the air. Yeah, they got some, they got some momentum going, but I caught them. Like I was, my hand, I, my eye hand coordination was pretty darn great as a kid. The only thing that would have been cooler is if you were knocking them out of the air with a sword. Well, okay, we're not going to go too nerdy. <laughs> but I was but ca- if you were catching them, you theoretically could have, could have. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did all kinds of things as kids. Like uh, we played night games to. I don't know if you ever did this, but with bats, um, you can throw objects up into the air and bats will actually follow them. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So if uh, what we did as kids, like from the apples, uh, for example, we had apples, we, the ones that fell, we would chuck them up in the air and we would watch these bats like basically pick up, pick them up on their sonar. Right. And they would chase the apple kind of close to the ground sometimes. Oh, that's cool. Because they thought it was like potential mm-hmm. prey, right? So it's like they pick it up and then they chase it down. It was pretty great. Were you talking like the small little green apples? Yes. Like, yes. Yes. Yep. Before they were certainly were ripe by mm-hmm. any means. Um, so they're like super sour. But. The only thing that really was kind of a downside about having an apple tree was the bees. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got stung so many times <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> so I had a dog that, was, his name was Tanner because he was white and tan, had tan splotches. Um, but he was part white lab, part corgi. Um, and so imagine a corgi with slightly longer legs with the personality of a lab. Mm, um, okay. Pointy ears, Super fuzzy butt, everything. Uh, slightly longer legs, but lab personality. So just total lover. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. But what it took us a while to figure out what was going on because there were times he was just like acting kind of weird and goofy and like almost like, like really happy. And we were watching him and we'd see. Um, so this would have been probably like August, September time period. So the apples are ripe. Oh, no. I and, didn't know where this is going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I, we'd watch out the window. He'd go up to, like, a rotting apple that had, was covered in bees. He'd go up to it, hit the apple with his nose, and then quickly run away. The bees would fly off, yeah. and then he'd quickly run back, grab the apple, and then run to the opposite end of the yard where, the, where there weren't bees. And then he'd sit down and just eat this thing. Well, what we figured out is he was getting drunk on essentially yeah. cider. Because <laughs> he'd sit there, hold the apple between his two paws, and just eat this thing. Uh-huh. So he's eating fermented fruit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> getting hammered. We, we had birds that would get drunk off uh, those crab apples. And they would, they would even fight our windows. <laughs> like, and this was in the fall. This isn't like some robin, you know, fighting a window where that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Where they... They see like a reflection of themselves, and they're fighting um, their rival robin yeah. um, in the reflection during the spring mating season. But they were. <laughs> this was in the fall, and they're fighting. <laughs> they're fighting our windows. So um, that's too funny that your dog was getting <laughs> drunk. But I, gosh, like, uh, so the neighbors next to us. So there was a lot of fruit trees. Uh, so there was like 
there was a plum tree, there was a pear tree as well, um, and then other apple trees that were nearby. I just remember so many yellow jackets and bees just everywhere, and I just remember getting stung a lot because one, I was a very dumb kid, <laughs> but two, they were they were everywhere, right? So, and I just remember seeing like apples just completely like filled, and there was times where I would challenge myself, and this. Now, I, you know, this would be a sin to me now, but as a kid, not knowing any better, it'd be like, okay, I'm going to run, step on it, and run away, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like you, it's a game of chase, and it's like, oh, I, yeah, think, I just destroyed pollinators. But. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I remember doing that as a kid, too. It was kind of a, like, it was an adrenaline high with it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Oh, it was. Oh yeah. man! So it's that. That was. So when you said that, it's like yes, I know exactly what that was like. But I tell you what, though, all those trees in the spring, it was absolutely beautiful. Oh yeah! It's like I, I really wish that those trees were still there. But they hit. Um, we hit some dark times with like diseases, carpenter ants. Like the cherry tree was the first to go. Mm-hmm. Like it was an old cherry tree, um, and it was. It was on its last legs. And we only got basically one batch of like cherries out of that tree, um, and then the next year it was gone. Like it was just, it was just dead. Um, yeah, both our apple trees are gone. Um, they going back to their size. Um, apparently, like the, the they happened two years apart. So first year when the first tree had. Um, I think it's called like a mast. Um, like it's where the, um, you get essentially a bumper crop. Yep. Um, I think, it's, is it a mast year? Is that the term? I, I'm not sure, but I, I know what you're talking about. Where yeah. basically they overproduce. Right. And they're too heavy. Yep. And the first apple tree quite literally split in half just from its own That's weight. That's exactly what happened to one of ours for yeah. sure. Yep. And the, um, the other tree did the same thing the second year. Um, and so, um, and that's actually where I got my, um, the staff that I have, it's actually a, an, a branch from one of those apple trees. Okay. Um, it just like, when I found it, it was like perfectly straight and made that thing when I was 15. Hmm. So super cool. Um, I've got actually a, one that's, um, actually older than that out in the garage. It's also an, an apple. It was the first staff that I made, but... Uh, I was quite a bit shorter <laughs> when I made that one. <laughs> You'll save that when Master Yoda shows up. Is that oh, right? absolutely. Okay. My kids like using it. There you go. But yeah, with other outdoors, like it's interesting because I kind of stepped away from the outdoor space. And I don't know about you, but I kind of stepped away from it when I was in, um, well, I would say kind of towards my latter half of high school. Um, and it, definitely in college, I wasn't as active in the outdoors, um, because it was school during the year and then summer was more or less work, um, during that time frame, and then, you know, internship, et cetera. So there wasn't much outdoor time for me and I didn't really come back into the fold of enjoying the outdoors until really after I graduated college, um, now left on my own, you know, 
and then searching the world from that standpoint. And, and really, the, the big catalyst is whenever my friend moved out to Colorado. That really mm-hmm. ignited my love for the outdoors again. Um, because we would go out, uh, and I went, well, I, I take that back. It was probably when we w- did our first trip to the Boundary Waters together. Um, that was a good reintroduction into the outdoor space. Um, that was before he moved. Gosh, and, and for anyone who loves the outdoors, if, if you're looking for like a good experience to just either challenge yourself to get away from it, you know, it's one thing to go backpacking into the mountains, but the Boundary Waters is a whole different experience that I would recommend for, for anyone to go through at least once in their life. To go from port- you portage to portage uh, from lake to lake and map out a route and you're you're in the north woods wilderness and it's just pristine beauty so it's 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 not just for fishing i mean we did plenty of fishing on that trip but for those who just like to paddle experience the outdoors uh, get bitten by a few hundred mosquitoes um and black flies <laughs> you know I, i'd rec but i would i would the black recommend flies it. are worse than the mosquitoes oh absolutely they hurt oh Oh, they're the worst. Oh, they are the absolute worst. Like, you know, I'm, I don't doing believe... a horrible job of like uh, trying to convince people to go. You know, it, it's it's actually really well. You know, I'm not here to do a sale job, right? Yeah, I'm not here to do a sale job. It speaks for itself. Um, but I'll never forget uh, just recently when I was up uh, up in the Boundary Waters. This was uh, 2019 when I was up there last, and the half moon was actually rising mm. and it was dark out. So then the half moon was just above the horizon and the loons just went absolutely crazy for like oh, 10 minutes. I love loons. Oh my goodness. It, it was such an experience. And like my friend Calder and I were the only ones up. The rest of the camp was asleep because I was out photographing the stars. And uh, at first we thought that there was a fire out in that that part of the lake we're like what is going on because it's like this bright orange we're like oh crap because it looked like a forest fire Mm -hmm. was going on it's like ah i go wait a minute that i think that's the moon rising it sure enough was and then as soon as it was uh, as soon as it was starting to rise the loon started to go and i'll just Mm -hmm. never forget that moment i even caught some of it on video but um and then as soon as it got above the horizon it was like a couple minutes after it was above the horizon, they stopped. So it's like, it was like this usherance. So like, talk about, you know, paying tribute to the pagan gods, right? It's like... <laughs> I was sitting here, I was thinking, it was just like, oh, someone had a spiritual experience. <laughs> I, you know, nature is spiritual. Oh, I mean, very much so. Very much so. So, I mean, even, you know, for, for people who think that atheists are, have no spiritual connection, I very much argue the different. I, I beg to differ because it is actually... You know, in, in its own irony, where it re, it's not a belief in, in religion or necessarily a deity, it is has a large spiritual experience because it's you're backing away from a like a human construct of like what we've what we theorize is the creator of the universe and morals and principles, but actually a grounding of of nature in that sense of universal connection, the search of principles and morals based upon you know, logical and ethical backing, da-da-da-da-da, right? And so um, it was definitely a very spiritual connection. 
that, and I'll know that's one of the best. Uh, that was one of the best nature moments I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, there's there's a reason. Like so, in the um, like in most pagan traditions, there's um, there's always the um, kind of the the duality, like the yin and the yang. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, god and goddess, and um, the moon is always had the kind of the feminine goddess aspect. That's usually how that's attributed to. I mean, that's like up on my wall right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, there's just, you, you can explain it, you know, a million different ways, but it never does it justice until you experience it. Exactly. It's exactly it. Like, so like when I'm out shooting photographs and then I try to provide reflection thought, not only in the moment, but even after the fact of a photograph. Um, and it, it's, it's really, it's a very spiritual art. And I, I hope that some people who get into photography or take photographs can start kind of peeling that in. Because photography, in my humblest opinion, is a, an emotional art. You don't remember photographs that are like, oh, that's beautiful. Well, that's pretty. It's the ones that you feel it. Like you can feel the beauty. You can feel the emotion behind the photograph. And so like those moments in nature that you're talking about mm-hmm. kind of parallel with the art itself where it's like it's when you have that, it's when it, you feel an emotion um, at that point. There, there's a reason why Ron Swanson says that crying is acceptable at funerals and the Grand Canyon. Right, I mean, he's being facetious, yeah. um, but there's a reason why those awe, uh, those awe moments are um, are are the of what they are because they draw out that emotion. But Brian's looking at me like, "Who is Ron Swanson?" For those who've <laughs> listened, um, I think most people know who Ron Swanson. Is. He's a character on Parks and Rec, Brian. <laughs> I've only seen a couple episodes, and I'm horrible with character names, but <laughs> now, yeah, okay, now I'm connecting, yep. <laughs> he's being he's being like that, uh, it's a moment where he's being that uber uh, machismo, like, macho guy, right? Mm-hmm. He's, like, crying, only acceptable. He's, like, talking to, like, a bunch of kids. Uh, he's coaching uh, boys, uh, okay, I think boys basketball. Now he's, like, I, crying, yep. only acceptable at funerals <laughs> and the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very toxic, but oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> crying is acceptable in almost every circumstance. <laughs> uh. Oh man! But as I say, uh, before we dive in too quick, we are at an hour and eleven minutes. Wow, that's a good conversation. Yeah, that's very good. Um, but for for you, Brian, I guess while we're kind of wrapping things up, I, I think we didn't touch on the spot though, and I and I wanted to hear this. I, I feel that there was a gap in your outdoors experience because I had my oh, gap yeah. in like college I, and my uh, my big gap was so um, from when I enlisted in the Marine Corps, um, right out of right out of high school, right? Yeah, right out of high school. So the like. The Marine Corps, I had plenty of outdoor experiences. Um, that's, yeah. Um, that's a whole different story. It's a whole different story. Um, 
but the the real gap came when um the shortly after i got married in 2007 um and had you know really young kids um mm-hmm. and you know their mom wasn't big into kind of the outdoor stuff we tried camping once it didn't go well um <laughs> we tried camping with a baby um oh may the force be with you (laughs) and also with you (laughs) my parent my parents did that but i don't know how it was i I, they never spoke ill of it but i can only imagine the challenge but continue (laughs) yeah and so uh, the um so there was kind of just the lull in in that aspect but my connection with nature kind of shifted um from like kind of the real outdoor rec type stuff more towards like gardening ah, um and sure. so um i definitely definitely maintained like like i had a deep connection with nature in new construction ankeny um the mind you i I'm pretty sure I pissed off my neighbors by doing this, but um, <laughs> I mean we've all pissed off a neighbor. Yeah, right? uh, yeah. You're but, not living life if you haven't pissed off a neighbor. But uh, so as soon as the fresh sod was put down, I went and I had ordered like a five pound bag of white clover seed. Mm. Um, and so back in the day, white clover used to be mixed in with grass seed. It was actually desirable because. The clover is a nitrogen fixer, so it takes in nitrogen from the air and releases it in its from its roots. Okay. And then the grass consumes that. So it's a symbiotic relationship. Sure. Um, up until they discovered 2,4-D, or we'd be gone. Mm. And then what was desirable just got listed as a weed. Now it's um, monoculture in the suburb. Yes. Yeah. But I went and attempted to reestablish that. Uh, and it worked. Um, so meanwhile, I've got neighbors on both sides that are trying to get their nice, lush monoculture. And I'm over there scattering white clover seed, planting small fruit trees and elderberry bushes. You're sabotaging their dream. And mowing with like a rotary reel mower. Like, oh, you did the manual style. Oh, yeah. Oh, my god. They, they still make those. You can get brand new ones from like Scott and stuff. Can you really? Oh, yeah. Okay. They're actually geared. They're like, and I mean, honestly, they are a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's work, but with the white clover, if you wait until like, they just start to flower and then you mow and then you get these little, like little white, the little white flowers just start popping off and flying everywhere. It's really just kind of hypnotic just to watch. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of, it's kind of like the, uh, the therapy of like when you destroy something, (laughs) is that that what it is? It was like an organic variant of bubble wrap (laughs) there you go there you go (laughs) note to self organic bubble wrap clovers but yeah i did everything that i could like i went my from my when my parents were still living in urbandale 
Um, I went to back to my childhood home, um, harvested a couple violets from the yard, like the wild violets. Did you, did you poach them? Like, did you like trespass more or less? No, my parents are still there. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, okay. It's like I didn't know if they moved. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm like, I'm not that desperate. Like, there's <laughs> You're in the middle way, of the night. Easier someone, ways in, to in get their violets, yard. man. <laughs> <laughs> You're in the middle of the night in, in their yard, just you know, hey, just scooping out your violets. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so took a, essentially transplanted some of those into the among the sod, and they started to spread as well, and worked on like kind of breaking up because I like it was almost impossible to find like actual violet seeds. Um, and because uh, like I love the yards that you see in like Beaverdale where they haven't used the chemical and it's just like you get, you know, dandelions and violets and henbit and grass and clover and not one thing is is taking over an area mm. uh, except like in the shady areas where there just isn't the grass. Right. Like, but it's just it's beautiful, especially in the spring. Um, and so I was trying to, in the process of recreating that. So, um, <laughs> the, uh, but I had worked on actually building a small food forest in my backyard using, um, you can get dwarf varieties of fruit trees that are, they max out at 13 feet. Okay. Um, and so if you kind of like look at like a forest edge where you've got like the taller trees and then you've got the shrubs and then you've got vines and then you've got like the herbaceous layer. Mm-hmm. If you structure that and plant things that are designed to kind of work well together and where the entire thing is edible, you can actually create a self-sustaining edible ecosystem. That would be amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah. Permaculture is a form of agriculture that they'll do that on full, like for a full scale forest or they'll plant like, walnuts and hickories as the like the big trees and then like apples and cherries as slightly smaller they'll use like elderberries and then raspberries and grapevines and then um you know asparagus and just all stuff that plays well together Mm -hmm. and then they'll do get this tsi timber stand improvement like we talked about in the last episode um once they reach a certain height they'll actually just cut down some of the um the like the nut trees once they've to get the proper spacing and then just let them lay where they fall and then as those slowly decompose they simulate the natural deadfall that would normally be in a forest that would be feeding the stuff and right with given given enough work you could create an environment where you have a fully edible self-sustaining forest that requires no inputs that would be beautiful the that would be beautiful. The main reason you don't see that done widespread is one, it's like the antithesis of a monoculture. Oh, <laughs> which, yeah. yeah, which means that it's incredibly labor intensive for harvesting. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, kind of that challenge. So, right. Why, why do I need to have a walnut tree when I can go to the grocery store, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm allergic to walnuts, so I don't I know. know. <laughs> I know. I'm being facetious. I know. I mean, there. <laughs> uh, there, there, there was a lot of like even my grandparents um, on my mom's side of the family. They have kind of a hobby, more or less farm, like gardening, right? Where they would garden, and they had plenty of their own uh, vegetables. They had plenty of fruit trees, like plums. To uh, they had, uh, don't quote me on that. I think they, once upon a time they had a um, apricot tree. Uh, as yeah, well. like stone. You can get stone fruit, right? Like the, and, 
And I think that they had pluots because they crossbred. I think, yeah. Oh, I totally forgot about pluots. Yeah. I had one of those in eons. Um, but then they had apples and uh, cherries and, and stuff like that. And I just remember gr- my grandfather always complaining about the birds about in that in that sense. So oh, that's the thing. That's the thing. Between that and then now dealing with Japanese beetles. Mm. Oh, my God. Like, I when I had those fruit trees, like, so when you plant a fruit tree... It's an investment because you aren't getting anything for three to five years. Oh, it is. You're right. Because you, those root systems have to get established, and you actually have to proactively prevent it from fruiting. Like when you start seeing like the flowers and stuff, you have to pluck them off to make sure that it's like, no, 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 no. Don't be putting your energy in fruit. Put your energy in your roots. Mm. Build your leaves. Build your roots. You'll get to it. Um and then I'd also go out each day, I'd have a jar and just collect it and just crack it open, knock all the uh, Japanese beetles because they love fruit trees Oh yes. um, into this jar. Because if you like crush them, that apparently attracts more. Um, really? Yeah. And so I just kind of knock them off into this jar and then seal it up and let them suffocate to death. Uh, it was, it was kind of dark and morbid. It was like <laughs> this jar just slowly collecting bodies. It was just like... This is getting dark. <laughs> but uh, the um but I mean that that did work. Um and then like elderberry bushes. Oh my gosh, those things grow like crazy. I mm-hmm. had no idea. Even yeah. in the wild they grow oh, like crazy. Oh yeah. I love those things and they're so healthy. Oh man. I need to just go when when I go on uh, go out hiking and I know that they're ripe. I just need to pluck them. Yeah, that's I the just need to go. the the challenge with them is they're not the most tasty, like fresh. Right, they're designed to be processed, and they're teeny tiny. And so, like the the effort to actually process them, <sighs> there's a reason why like Mountain Rose Herbs is always out of stock. Like I've I've bought them like five pounds at a time when I can get my hands on them, um, but oh, they're so good. Yeah, I <laughs> I need I need to do more uh, more of that and like mushroom hunting. Like it, it's getting close to you know morale season again. Um, so they're yeah. I'm actually I'll be curious to see what. The impact is on mushroom hunting out of Browns. So we had a meeting with the county yesterday, and they gave us an updated map of, and they calculated out how much they actually cleared mm. with the Reiko. I wonder if that will help it. Fifty acres. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So I wonder they, if that's. I wonder if that's going to help with more. Morals. The. I'm wondering. It's hard to tell if there might be like. It just entirely depends on how long it takes the mycelium to colonize the True. new mulch. Um, I'm not entirely sure the growth rate of that for the... True. For Maybe not year. this year, but then following year. Probably. That'll be, that'll be curious because, I mean, and there's a, the areas that they've cleared, there were also quite a bit of... Um, um, what's the... the um, golden oyster? Yeah, oh, golden, yes, oyster, golden oysters. Which I think those are technically invasive. Are they invasive? I, I, you know, I'm really not up on my invasive fungi and how that exactly works. Mm. Um, I All I know is yet. that they make a great stroganoff dish. They do. They are flipping deli- delicious. So, the um, 
the one thing I do know is that they are heavily harvested at Brown. So, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I've even led people to the different spots uh, throughout Polk County. It's like, yep, there's some right there, and like a whole tree is just littered with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll keep coming back. Oh yeah. So, yeah, because with mushrooms. You know, picking a mushroom is no different than picking an apple off an apple tree. Because mm-hmm. it's just the fruiting body. The mycelium, right. all the little roots and stuff that are underground, that's where the actual organism is. Yep. Yeah. But you just got to know what you're, what you're picking, though. <laughs> well, if you want to live. If you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I will say about fungi and some of the research that I've done is there is a lot between delicious tasty mushroom and mushroom that'll kill you and some of that space in between you'll wish you were dead Uh (laughs) uh-huh i I believe it oh man well very good well thank you all for listening uh of us uh talk about some of our backgrounds and growing up in the outdoors and uh, you know we'd love to hear from you as far as what were some of the things that really got you into the outdoors uh, philosophies if, if you've changed over the years of what we've kind of talked about if it parallels or if you had some experiences or stories of, uh, of your kind of religious um, upbringing if you've continued religion or if you have not we would love to hear from you but uh, we thank you for listening to us talk here for what would you say, Brian, about an hour and a half we're getting close to? Well, we did our traditional Midwest goodbye. Yeah. Uh, we are now sitting at an hour and 25 minutes. Wonderful. Well, so. we'll conclude it here <laughs> to give you back five minutes of your life. We want to thank you for listening and uh, tune in next week for the next episode where we'll have a very special guest. And who is our special guest, Brian? Um. Well... You'll just have to tune in and find out. But, oh, uh, yeah, with a cliffhanger. Yeah, we did mention her a couple times in episode one. Ah, yes. So, well, tune in next. Tune in next week, where we'll have that special guest, and as we dive into more topics. But again, thank you for listening. I'm yep. Eric Burson. Take care. I'm Brian. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.